This is The One Thing Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Adam Rindy. The One Thing Podcast brings together leaders in functional and naturopathic medicine to discuss actionable information that may unlock puzzles in the areas of gut health, brain health, metabolism, and longevity. Please note, these episodes do not replace the opinion of your doctor. They are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition. Please discuss this information with your provider and discuss your own unique personal health history before adapting this information. Please subscribe to our episodes so that you can stay on top of the most current information in these areas of medicine. How's it going, family? Welcome to the next episode. In this episode, I'm excited to welcome on Dr. Deanna Berman. We're going to speak about biofilm. This is a very important topic in chronic illness, and it's often overlooked when people are addressing conditions such as autoimmune disease, inflammatory bowel disease, IBS, sinus problems, urinary tract infections, the list goes on. Biofilms are pretty much hanging around in chronic conditions that involve hollow spaces of the body. So we get to speak with an expert today in the clinical treatment of biofilms. There's a lot of researchers out there looking at this topic, but it's always great to welcome on a clinician who's actually out there dealing with related to biofilm. In just a moment, I will introduce our guest, but I just want to thank you so much for joining us once again on the One Thing Podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, Dr. Berman is someone who was on a previous episode with one, the One Thing Podcast. She practices in Vermont, and she's a naturopathic physician and also a licensed midwife. Um, she has some very interesting expertise. She has a uh, expertise in interstitial cystitis and other women's pelvic health disorders, such as chronic UTIs. And she also knows quite a bit about our topic today, which is biofilms. Um, she has a background in working with lots of infectious diseases and really has a great handle on chronic disease and chronic infection. So uh, I welcome you. Um, her website, I'll let, um, we'll, we'll refer to that at the end of the episode and, or right now if you want, but um, there's, um, Dr. Berman is very active on social media, on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm sure you're going to um, enjoy uh, speaking with her or listening to her today like I will. So uh, Dr. Berman, welcome and thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I am very grateful to be here and to share what I know and help lots of people through this. And I am also practicing in New York, um, but I'm doing mostly telemedicine at this point because um, you know I started working with many women around the country and then around the world internationally who have chronic recurrent UTIs and have been diagnosed with interstitial cystitis and chronic uh, bacterial vaginosis and other uh, pelvic issues. So um, now, yeah, I've kind of become a specialist in those issues. But uh, yeah. and uh, so grateful because it's so needed. We need doctors who understand these issues. Yeah, and you know, you've been doing this for quite some time, and 
That's why I really enjoy speaking with you because you've been through, you know, sort of a several different journeys in your own profession and and you've seen a lot of patients and you know from that experience you you bring a wealth of information so thank you for um, being here with us today how did you start thinking about biofilm in general like what what led you to the kind of topic of today so i started learning more about biofilms because i was working with i i was um i'm a lyme literate doctor as well and I had worked with many people with chronic Lyme disease and chronic uh, other chronic infections, and they weren't getting better until I learned about biofilms. And biofilms, um, starting to break up the biofilms was a game changer in helping them get well. Um, in the world of interstitial cystitis, basically, my opinion and the opinion of many other doctors is that if you have bladder symptoms, you have a chronic infection. And if you have a chronic recurrent infection, whether it's otitis media or a sinusitis or SIBO or H. pylori or various other chronic infections, there's bound to be biofilms. Okay. So I started researching biofilms and how do I help people break up these biofilms so they can get better? Okay. Yeah. And so when I, when I first started hearing about biofilm in human health, my experience with it was just as a something that forms on plastics or maybe on the pond of a lake, you know, to think about it being in other regions of the body was was something completely new to me. Um, can you just explain just some basics, like what is a biofilm in in the context of what we're talking about today? Yes. Um, so basics of a biofilm is it's a it's a group of bacteria. So there's there's bacterial biofilms and then there's actually viral biofilms that are called viromes. Hmm. Um, and there's fungi. And when I actually first learned about biofilms, I thought they were all together. And I think some places they are all together, but they will form anywhere that there is liquid, basically in the body, like in the urinary tract, in the circulatory system, in the sinuses, in the, um, in the lungs, anywhere there's fluid and in the water as well. So what they're finding is what's very interesting in certain areas where they dump a lot of antibiotics into the water, there's a high production of antibiotics like in, in India, they actually have very strong biofilms. Um, the, the antibacterials are not penetrating those bacteria and it can actually create stronger biofilms. So these biofilms are kind of colonies of mostly bacteria and viruses and, and uh, yeast, and they share genetic information. So what happens with the biofilm is as it's around longer, it gets stronger and harder to penetrate. And, um, and also the bacteria will multiply inside that ba those biofilms and they'll share the genetic material. Like if there's an antibiotic resistant infection inside the biofilm, that bacteria can share the antibiotic resistance genes with another bacteria in there. So, yeah. So even like backing up further, is it just kind of like a blob of mucus that's, that's, uh, filling up space in different orifices and <laughs> yeah, so it's actually, yes, it's like a, a blob. And, and initially the initial phase of the biofilm was just kind of the bacteria. And then it, it builds this 
matrix of like DNA and proteins and carbohydrates and that matrix. Um, and then it will adhere with like fibrin to the, you know, it can adhere to a catheter. It can adhere in, in the ear, in, in the, you know, this biofilms in the ears, the, it can adhere to anything pretty much. Um, so then it adheres and the longer it's there, it gets, it builds up their, that exterior, exterior matrix stronger. It was interesting. I was looking at this video where they actually could see the bacteria and the matrix pulling out from the biofilm. Um, wow. And so the, you know, the bacteria will come out of the biofilm and kind of be released. And they almost, they, someone said it was like a metastasis. Um, so the theorizing that the, the biofilms, these really strong biofilms are forming in the GI tract, which makes a lot of sense to me um, because we're getting a lot of like antibiotic resistant infections, especially E. coli from our food and our water. And then these stronger infections, if they actually do form in the, in the digestive tract, and then they can kind of break off or metastasize and form in other places in the body. Hmm. Yeah. And it, you know, it's, it's really interesting that, you know, if from a 20,000 foot view, you could just think that this is just sort of this inert material and there's this whole world going on, like you're, you're alluding to here of signaling and, you know, basically these uh, bacterial colonies or viral colonies, they've created a form of protection for their survival, right? With these biofilms. Absolutely. That's what they're doing. Um, and more bacteria live in biofilms than in the free form state or planktonic state. Most bacteria, it's natural for bacteria to form biofilms. And, okay. the, and the real issue at this point is that the bacteria, because, you know, theorized that it's from the chemicals and the antibiotics, that they're stronger. The bacteria are stronger, more virulent. I mean, there's so much research being done on certain bacteria, like, you know, for educational experiences or trying to make more antibiotics, but these bacteria become stronger and more resistant to whatever we throw at them. Yeah, excuse me. I've been hanging out with my four-year-old a lot lately, and I'm just thinking of like some of the games that he plays with me and, you know, like having like a shield and anything that is, is coming to stop him. If he has a shield, He's good to go. So I can think of, you know, the bacteria being exposed to penicillin or amoxicillin and, you know, various other agents that are, you know, reportedly designed to get rid of them. And if they have their shield up, then it's, you know, it's, uh, it's a form of protection. Absolutely. And it's, and it's causing an epidemic of chronic illness. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, what I believe like Crohn's and colitis is the same thing as interstitial cystitis. And um, even allergies, um, when people have chronic allergies that they develop later in life, it's, I believe it's often biofilms in the sinus passages or in the gut or in the bladder. And, and you know, basically the doctors don't find them because they're living in these biofilms. They're not mm -hmm. free floating. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really, detected. that's, that seems to be like a diagnostic challenge, you know, and, um, you know, if someone's being assessed for an infection and, and uh, the bacteria is not showing up in the sample. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll just speak a minute about the UTI world. In the UTI world, 40 to 60% of infections are missed on a standard culture. And one of the reasons is that the bacterial load is too low to be detected by the standard of detection. Another reason is that when you have a biofilm with multiple bacteria and they release multiple bacteria into the environment, then you have more than one bacteria and there's competition between bacteria. Okay. In the free floating form. So you won't detect what, and actually most cultures, they t- try, test for one bacteria at a time. But I do some advanced DNA testing um, with a lab called Microgen DX. And that lab helps me, you know, I, when you read it properly, it tells you, okay, you know, there's a small percentage, it's a two-part test. And, and it will tell me, okay, it looks like there's biofilms, you know, we can't guarantee it. But pretty much if there's a chronic infection, there's biofilms. And also it gives me mul- generally multiple bacteria up to, I've seen up to 15 different bacteria on one test. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So before we leave this, this description here, I just want to just make sure I understand one core concept. So even in a biofilm presence, the non-free formed uh, bacteria or virus can cause symptoms that are sort of classic infectious symptoms, like um, whether it's diarrhea or you know fever or achiness or bloating, can they cause it in the biofilm or do they have to get out of the biofilm to cause those symptoms? I would say that would be hard to say. All I can, all I can answer, because one, you would have to have a method to absolutely detect whether there's free floating bacteria or not. Because if, you know, if, if there's only a biofilm and no free floating bacteria, that would be different. But I can't say, I would imagine most patients who have a chronic illness, there's both free floating bacteria and a biofilm. And biofilms do release cytokines and they're different inflammatory cells and they're different than the cytokines released from one bacteria. So it's it's sort of like, um, when we look at polypharmacy, using multiple medications all at once, right? We don't know how those work together. It's the same thing. We don't know how this combination of bacteria works together. Yeah. And and what kind of release, you know, what kind of inflammatory response it causes in the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense to me that there's, there's sort of those bacteria that are or out of the community could also be causing symptoms. Um, so, well, it, I, you've already said this, but I'd like to just kind of hear like if, if, if some, how does someone know that they may have a biofilm issue? Like what would be, what would be like a clue just from a symptom or standpoint or a sign or a lab test? So, well, pretty much we all have biofilms. It just depends on the phase of the biofilm. And I want to talk a little bit more, remind me to speak more about the phases of biofilms. But basically, if you have been treated with antibiotics and you get better and then you get worse, or you've been treated with antibiotics and that you don't get better, or you've had an illness for more than six months, you probably have stronger biofilms. Now, everyone has biofilms. And it's just a matter of, are we breaking them up? There are things that our body does to break up biofilms naturally, but there are things that put us at higher risk 
for developing stronger biofilms mm. as well. Okay. And can you can you comment on those? Yes. Okay. So um, basically, we have to look at this as a continuum. So we are exposed to bacteria all the time. We have bacteria in, I mean, we have bacteria in our body. What, what I like to talk about is like, okay, the gut. Let's take a really healthy person that lives in the blue zones and has had an immaculate diet, not exposed to chemicals, not exposed to glyphosate, and they're very healthy. They have a microbiome in the gut that is between 700 and 1200 different bacteria. Okay. Now that those bacteria will continue to make biofilms and then they'll break up the biofilms because this person's really healthy and they have good hydrochloric acid and good digestive enzymes that help break up those biofilms. Plus they're eating foods with, um, with uh, really great herbs and spices and variety. And that's going to help our body, their body break up those biofilms. Okay. Then, you know, you can go to um, someone in the U S who is who eats gluten and is exposed to glyphosate, which is a broad spectrum antibacterial, and who's been in the hospital because they had an infection, and they may have been exposed to, you know, some kind of E. coli infection. Um, and so, in the gut, we're just taking the gut. So they those people, you know, they've had some illnesses, they've taken some antibiotics for different things, even short courses. And what grows back is not the same healthy microbiome, plus the microbial diversity, the diversity of that gut microbiome is going to be different. And so they probably have between 500 and 700 different microbes in their gut, okay? So these will also break up biofilms, but let's say they're taking a proton pump inhibitor and they're not producing good enzymes because they're, they're stressed and their digestion's not working optimally. So they don't have those natural enzymes and hydrochloric acid to break up those biofilms. So they start forming a stronger biofilm. And then they're exposed to some, you know, Klebsiella strain in the hospital that, they, that is more virulent. It's stronger. It's more resistant to antibiotics. And that bacteria gets into that biofilm. And now they've got this really strong biofilm. So now we have to start breaking up those biofilms. And, um, and that's just really the gut. So then we can look at, you know, I mean, the, the microbiome projects where they looked at the different microbiomes in part of the parts of the body, but some even speculate, if you're looking at people in the U.S., we live in a post-industrial microbiome that we're exposed to so many things that have antimicrobial effects that, you know, it's not the same microbiome that we would have had 150 years ago or that person who lives in the blue zones. Yeah. Uh, so in a sense, like, We've, we've had to become tougher to survive in this in this uh, world um, with all the different, um, you know, from, from a standpoint of human, um, we've had to become tougher to, to survive with chemical exposures and the changes in our food supply. Um, the, the microbiome that's living within us is also going through the same thing. And so there, you know, the microbiome is going through adaptive strategies as well. So what I'm hearing you say, which is really interesting, is that it's things that kind of are like chronic um, antibiotic exposures, you know, in the food supply that could generate biofilm. And then it's also just having a chronic infection that could generate biofilm. 
And so it's kind of, and then things that lower the defense against infections like low stomach acid um, can generate this environment where you have biofilm. Well, naturally, um, the hydrochloric acid and enzymes and um, aromatic herbs and spices will naturally break up early phase biofilms. That's a natural process. So what, why I say that is that um, one of, you know, what, if we just take one factor, the fact that most of us are stressed and don't produce as, you know, uh, uh, enough enzymes and hydrochloric acid, or we're taking medications to suppress our hydrochloric acid, that affects our ability to break up the biofilms. Plus we've changed our diet. On my website, I have a little ebook I created, which is geared towards UTIs, but I do speak in there about foods that help us break up biofilms and, you know, things that we naturally can do. And then we used to eat of, like most cultures have some form of um, fermented foods or, you know, chutneys or, or things that, that help our bodies to break up biofilms and replenish our good microbiome naturally. But mm. we don't eat that way anymore. So we're, we're, we eat less spices. And a lot of people with, with chronic infections, what I hear all the time, oh, I can't eat spicy foods. And, they, and especially if they have epigastric issues, if they have GERD or they have, I, I'm seeing an epidemic of gastritis now mm. in young people. So then they cut out all the spices and they cut up all the herbs. Film problems worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so there's just sort of this environment now where, um, you know, where infections have the ability to hang around longer. Um, and, you know, I think most people um, who are addressing like an infection, like say H. pylori or C. diff or, you know, chronic C. diff. Um, these kind of chronic infections don't even think about this, this kind of, this level of treatment. And no wonder, you know, we're getting so much reoccurrence. Yeah, we, we need to start, um, I mean, there's a lot of research on biofilms. It's been going on a long time, but still in the UTI world, at least, doctors don't even address it at all and will say to their patients, oh, biofilms don't exist. Mm -hmm. And that's not true because there's plenty of research. At least I, I was just reading a paper that talked about E. coli strains. Um, and we have an epidemic of we're we're seeing more resistant infections across the board, you know, and, and so what they're doing, they're seeing they've they've been tracking this antibiotic resistant infection situation for a long time and a lot of ESBL E. coli, which is a very resistant E. coli, it's resistant to multiple antibiotics, um, but also um, the strength of the biofilms. So the ESBL E. coli versus standard E. coli, the strength of the biofilms is very stronger. Now, what they'd have to do is look at H. pylori and strep. I mean, the ones that I see are the worst are the strep, H. pylori, but even C. diff is hanging around. I see I'm doing, I do a GI map and I see more C. diff, clostridia, than I used to see. Um, yeah. And definitely more H. pylori and strep, um, Klebsiella. And these aren't only urinary tract infections. These are things that I'm seeing in the digestive tract as well. Yeah. So we all need to start 
you know, considering even if we're not dealing with a chronic illness, how to prevent a chronic illness, how to eat to break up biofilms, how to keep our digestive tract healthy so that these stronger, more virulent biofilms don't form. Yeah. Well, I want to circle back just a little bit because I think one of the core concepts that you you mentioned, I'm going to go a little deeper with if possible, is the um, phase one and phase two biofilm. So like, why does this matter? First of all, knowing that there's two phases and what's the difference? Okay. So as the biofilm is forming, it can be disrupted e more easily with like it, the hydrochloric acid, the enzymes, um, with, uh, with the, the uh, aromatic foods, the oregano oil, you know, things like oregano oil is, is like a five, phase one biofilm disruptor. So, I mean, eating oregano, eating thyme, rosemary, you know, how, incorporating these spices into your food, uh, you know, there's, and then you can get into more, you know, if you're, if you're low in enzymes or hydrochloric acid to replace that, things like that can break up the biofilm in the phase one early stages of the biofilm. Now, as the biofilm starts developing this exterior matrix, it's a stronger biofilm and along a spectrum. So in the beginning stages, you've got the phase one that should get broken up and, and you know, disrupted and move along, you know, the bacteria is released and it moves along. But then as it gets stronger, then you've got like moving towards phase two. Phase two, you know, again, it's a, a continuum. So, you know, you can use some um, things like olive leaf extract or um, black cumin in the middle phases or early phase two. But as we get into stronger, like they've been around longer and they're, and they're stronger and the bacteria are multiplying in there, that's when you get these strong biofilms that you have to use more therapeutic doses. That's where you get the chronic illness. You know, people have been sick for a while or keep recurrent illnesses, like you, they get a little better and then they get sick again, or then another illness pops up. Those are those stronger phase two biofilms. Um, and they're much harder to penetrate and break up. Like you have to break up that exterior matrix yeah. to release them. So, because when they're in that exterior phase two matrix, they, the antibiotics can't get in there and the immune system can't get in there. So those bacteria are protected or yeah. viruses are protected. And like you said, you know, um, this can happen in any kind of cavity of the body, really like, you know, lungs, sinuses, bladder, um, yep. you know, GI, obviously we've talked about that. Um, SIBO, um, all, all the whole digestive tract is a big area of biofilm. I think it's, I think um, what I was hearing is correct. I haven't seen the research on that, but I, it really makes a lot of sense to me that we're coming, that these infections are coming through our digestive tract and then they're breaking off and being released into other areas of the Amazing. body. Amazing. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's interesting because like, you know, we're talking about this today, but researchers are working on a lot of aspects of biofilm. You know, I, I, I pull up studies on this kind of topic called quorum sensing, where, you know, this, this uh, signaling that the bacteria does to, to recruit other bacteria to this community or to push bacteria to go to other parts of the body, like medications are 
being developed today to intercept this concept called quorum sensing. Is that right? Yes, that is. That is absolutely right. Um, so yeah, it's a communication that we're starting to understand. I mean, there's a lot about bacteria that we don't understand. But I'm always amazed that, you know, I've heard studies where there's a Klebsiella strain and, and one person has this very resistant Klebsiella and then someone in the hospital somewhere else gets the same Klebsiella strain and they don't even know how they got it. You know, yeah. and, and how do those... I think we lost you first. You know, interesting phenomenon that we don't really understand yet. And I believe there's a lot about bacteria that we don't understand. And um, bacteriophages, which, you know, we didn't, but it brings me to back, you know, these bacteriophages, which are um, actually viruses that can kill bacteria, but also that have a way of finding the bacteria. Um, there's a lot where we're in the beginning stages of understanding, but for, you know, for the for the person who's dealing with a chronic illness, what you want to do is find somebody who understands biofilms and, you know, nobody should be suffering with chronic illness. And yet we have an epidemic of chronic illness. And, and partially it's because people, I mean, people end up with diagnoses like IBS or IC or um, chronic allergies and, and, and they're given um, symptomatic relief, which sometimes works and many times doesn't work. And, um, and they're not really getting well. So, and that's where naturopathic medicine can offer so much to help people get well. And, right. and you know, there's a lot of natural treatments that can help with these uh, biofilms and the sooner you address them, the better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think we were sharing before we got started here, how, you know, um, you know, you, you kind of sparked a fire under me as far as, you know, thinking about biofilms again, and, you know, I've kind of gone back and forth with it throughout my career, but it really makes a lot of sense now based on your use of lab testing and to, to kind of analyze what microbes are growing. And the more I learn about, you know, what should be there in a, in a kind of healthy microbiome state and, and which bugs kind of come out to play when it's not a healthy microbiome, um, it's really clued me into like when we need to have biofilm treatments on board. Yeah, and you know, I'm, I, I, I have a Facebook group about UTIs and interstitial cystitis. And what I'm seeing is a lot of people using these biofilm disruptors on their own. And I think, you know, it's, we've come to a time of uh, do-it-yourself medicine, you know, because people are desperate. You know, they want somebody, you know, they, they want someone to help them, but they're not getting the help through their insurance companies and their doctors. So they're searching for the answers on their own, but it's very hard to do this on your own. Um, it's, you know, and even understanding the testing, it's hard to, to do it on your own. And people ask, how do you test for biofilms? You know, and it's like, firstly, if you have, if you're alive, you've got biofilms. And then, you know, how do you know if you have stronger biofilms? Well, you know, that's where I do the microgen testing and and, you know, you can do that for sinuses, you can do it for the body, you could do it for the vagina, you could do it for the gut. And that, you know, gives us a lot more. They test 50,000 different bacteria. So we get a broad, broad idea. There's another lab called Aperiomics that also they test a lot of bacteria. I don't even remember how many, but, um, and viruses too. But 
Um, again, you need a doctor who can read that. Some people will come in, get the testing on their own, and the, and they don't even know what they're doing uh, yeah. with that information. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, I think it's important to know that if you do start treating biofilm, you know, it can you can feel quite lousy um, from you know, it's all of a sudden releasing the bio substance, you know, that your body has to deal with on itself, you know, that, um, cause it's a biological material that you're actually releasing. So. Yeah. Yeah. I've been seeing some questions about that. People saying, Oh, I took the biofilm phase two disruptor and, and now I'm feeling terrible. Well, you can have systemic effects. You can have biofilms in your cardiovascular system, in your gut, in your and your your sinuses and they can be broken up and releasing those bacteria yep yep um before we we conclude i just it's kind of more of an advanced question but it, you know we're kind of at that point in this conversation um so you hear a lot about the biofilm harboring other things like mycotoxin and and metals mm -hmm. is can you comment on that well, there's definitely information about, um, especially mercury in the biofilms, um, in the biofilm matrix. And so the, you know, do we know if the methyl mercury we're being exposed to in our food or in vaccines is causing some of those biofilms? That's, you know, these are somewhat questions that, you know, I don't know if we want to answer <laughs> because, um, you know, sometimes I get to the point in my understanding of things that I say, well, okay, what can I do about this? <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like we can only do so much to change what's happening. These things have been, um, especially the antibiotic resistance. We have been watching this since the first develop since penicillin was developed. Yeah. You know, we've been watching this for 70 years, the antibiotic resistance developing and it's a serious healthcare issue. Um, and so, you know, the, the, even though heavy metals can be part of the biofilm at this point, um, I think we need to start looking at how do we keep people off antibiotics, you know, as a, as a primary concern. Um, sorry if I'm evading that question, but um, you know, no. it's sort of like, I don't know what we can do about it at this point, other than working with chelators um, like EDTA or, you know. That's, that makes sense. You know, I mean, I think you know, one of my mentors always said, you know, there's lots of doors to open, but if you open that door, are you going to know what to do what, when you see what's behind it? So, you know, yeah. metals is, you know, obviously something to be cautious with. And, um, you know, we, we may, we may find ways and learn ways to that, that this is significant later. But, you know, I think if, if you're able to, to, uh, you know, sort of the outcomes of, you know, better gut function, better sinus function, better bladder function, better brain function from helping manage this biofilm issues. I think that's kind of where we're at right now. Yeah, I think we need, uh, we need to especially work on optimize, you know, working with somebody to break up the biofilms you know, like the work I do, it's it's healing, decreasing inflammation, breaking up the biofilms, addressing the infections, whether you do that naturally or with antibacterials. And it's sort of a, a you know, you have to see what's there, in my opinion, um, okay. well, to decide what to do. Yeah. So I think, you know, I'd love to turn things over to you and, and just kind of 
hear your take-home messages for, say, a new healthcare provider or a new doctor that's never heard of how to address biofilm, like some some take-home messages, and then then the the patient who's um, dealing with this kind of chronic infection situation that's not going away or a chronic health problem, just a few take-home messages would be great. And then um, I know since you're doing a lot of telemedicine and lecturing and classes and blogging, can you tell us a little bit about your, your latest work? Yeah. So for the patient, um, you know, if you're dealing with a chronic health issue, I definitely suggest you find a doctor who will do the proper testing and who understands biofilms. Make sure they are a, a doctor, you know, that they really, there's a lot of practitioners out there who are doing things and making suggestions, but they're not with the facts of what they're doing. Um, and a lot of practitioners are actually just putting people on palliative care, natural palliative care, meaning that they're not, you know, we can use oregano oil, but it'll keep the symptoms down, but it's not going to get rid of the infection for many people. So, you, you know, working on breaking up biofilms and healing and identifying the infections that are there. So um, that would be my suggestion for, for a patient. For doctors who are new to biofilms, I love the microgen testing and you need to learn how to read it. And usually I'll do a biofilm disruptor for five days prior to testing, have patients go off all their natural supplements, their probiotics, everything, and, um, and then test. And, you know, I, I do gut testing. I do a lot of GI map testing and I do sinus testing for people who have chronic sinusitis and also chronic allergies. I still test because I'm seeing a lot of mold, candida, yeasts in there. Also, yeasts are becoming more resistant to standard treatments like diflucan mm. and nystatin. Mm. So we need to identify what yeast. There's various other yeasts that I'm seeing in the sinuses and also in the vaginal area and the bladder. Um, so, you know, try look into the Microgen DX testing and the periomics and um, pathnostics as well is another one that I use a lot. And then um, as far as what I'm doing, I'm working with chronic bladder issues and chronic vaginal issues, um, but coming at it from a, a perspective of, you know, breaking up biofilms, decreasing inflammation, healing the bladder and the vaginal tissue, um, especially if there's hormonal issues, and then looking at the contributing factors like hormonal issues, a lot of PCOS and menopausal issues and the GI issues as well. A lot of GI issues, which I think a lot of our problems originating from. And um, I have a Facebook group called ICUTI Recovery. And um, in that group, I'm doing um, a Facebook Live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. where I'm answering people's questions. And um, and then I have my Instagram at Dr. Deanna Berman and my uh, my website, um, which is Dr. Deanna Berman, D-R-D-E-A-N-N-A, B-E-R-M-A-N.com. And um, also I have my another Facebook page that's just Dr. Deanna Berman. And really, I, I believe we need to become more empowered about our health. One of the things that really um, is, is um, frustrating me these days is how, you know, I, you need to find a doctor you trust. And, and work with them over time. But you need to trust your doctor. And, you know, people will do things, they'll, they'll do a procedure because their doctor told them to. And I see a lot of women getting hysterectomies and cystoscopies and 
hydro distensions and all kinds of procedures that they think are not the right thing for them, but their doctor doesn't give them other options. And you have to believe there are other options out there. There's more information. Every day we have more information and you could, you can get better. So don't give up, but find a doctor who, who will listen to you and you can trust. Yeah. Yeah. I, I uh, encourage all patients to go into any doctor's, like a meeting with their doctor, Google the acronym BRAINS for pa patient empowerment. And it, it gives you five questions to ask in every doctor's visit um, when you're being presented a, a, a procedure or treatment. And it, it, you know, those are very anxious moments. So having them written out um, mm. as you go into the meeting, you know, I think these are all really good suggestions. Um, so, well, thank you very much. You know, I, I really enjoy speaking with you because what I feel like when I'm speaking with you is that like you're in the trenches with, with the patient, like it's, you're not, you're not speaking from a standpoint of this kind of like philosophical way to heal. You know, you're actually like seeing what's going on at this in the, in the body, in the surface, and you're doing something about it. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure speaking with you too. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to do one of these again sometime again soon. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the One Thing Podcast. Please share these episodes with your friends, loved ones, colleagues, patients, healthcare providers, anyone who you feel might benefit from hearing these informative interviews. We tend to learn best from people sharing things with us. That's often the first time it's introduced. So don't hesitate if these the content of these episodes reminded you of someone that might benefit from that. Forward the, the episode to them, and I'm sure they'll either appreciate it or be appreciative that you've thought of them. So once again, we'll look forward to seeing you next episode on the One Thing Podcast. And again... Much appreciation for you being here with me.